Friday, April the 94th or whatever, well, April the 10th, but just feels like the 790th. And this is the Dutch News Podcast, your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. I'm Gordon Derrick, Dutch News Contributing Editor and Panda Envier, and joining me today at an appropriately safe distance are fellow Dutch News Contributing Editor and Tree Destroyer Molly Quell and Paul Peters, Master's Student in Civil Engineering and Corona Bingo Caller. So, Molly, first of all, uh, you've been blitzing through a few trees since the lockdown started. Uh, what's that about? I'm personally trying to give the uh, Lorax a brain aneurysm, I think, by reading a lot of books, which, of course, are printed on paper, which, of course, is, are made from trees. Um, but I've, I, have, I have sort of two takeaways uh, from my book reading over the last few weeks. One is, is that Stephen King, no matter how horrible and terrible the books are in terms of being extremely scary um, are not about Corona. So that's a good distraction. I read the outsider, which is like one of his more recent books, which was quite good. Um, So that's a good recommendation. I think if you like horror or Stephen King, the other thing I've been doing is reading our coffee table books, which are basically picture books for adults. And there's nothing more relaxing than just looking at photos with about three sentences on every other page. So, you know, if you're stuck in a house with some coffee table books... Welcome back to kindergarten. Exactly. So if you're stuck in a house with some coffee table books, then you should, uh, you should, you should read those. They're quite relaxing. Yeah, picture books. It's the way to go. Um, what about you, uh, Paul? You've been uh, getting real into bingo for someone who is about 70 years too young to be into bingo. Well, Molly, you are also um, joining me in this bingo uh, endeavor because uh, we both... Um, developed a uh, a Corona uh, press conference bingo uh, card. We wanted to make one for for the Dutch news website, but um, it was deemed inappropriate to put it on the website. It was overruled. Yeah, by a far too sensible editor in chief. Yeah, this is why she's in charge and we're not. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's clear why. It's clear why. Yeah, but it was uh, pretty fun to uh, to to uh, to make that bingo card. It included um, it it included terms like uh, you know and uh, hamsteren and clickline and uh, what else. We must follow the advice of experts. So it was pretty fun to do. Yeah, the middle square was just a picture of uh, Hugo de Jong's ugly ass shoes, <laughs> which I feel like is an excellent one. Yeah. That was yeah. definitely the best one. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so, uh, Gordon. Um, What's what's with the pandas? <laughs> with the pandas, well, there, yeah. there was a very, there's a very. You must have read the story this week. It was a very sweet story about a couple of giant pandas in a Hong Kong zoo. And you remember the whole problem with pandas and how the the, the whole issue with is pandas that is that is that pandas are just so famously kind of celibate for years and years and yes. years. And um, it turns out that and, and you know scientists and zookeepers have been scratching their heads about why the pandas aren't interested in each other. And as soon as all the crowds disappeared from the zoo, the pandas in the Hong Kong zoo suddenly felt much more relaxed in each other's company and uh, true duly got it on. So it turns out the thing stopping the pandas having sex is the gawping human beings pressing their noses against the glass and distracting them it turns out that uh like they don't they're not pandas are not exhibitionists i have some breaking news Uh uh-oh because as you know uh we also have a set of pandas here in the netherlands yeah that's true dierenpark in rena and uh the zoo over there just announced that uh it's very likely that the female uh just got pregnant wow yeah so uh 
she just uh, crawled into the kraamhol, which is uh, sort of the, the, the designated place for a panda to give birth. Uh, for, uh, for some reason, they know that they're supposed to go there, and that's it's. She just went in there, and so it's uh, it's pretty it's pretty uh, likely that she is uh, that she is uh, pregnant now. So, so when people started talking about Corona babies, it wasn't people babies; it was panda babies. No, it was panda yeah. babies. Who would have thought? So from there, we should probably move swiftly on to the opera for the week. Uh, because tomorrow it's Good Friday, we're recording now on Thursday, and as we uh, the, the 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 time we started recording was approaching, I was kind of desperate because there was literally no ophef. So that would mean that um, uh, we we wouldn't have a segment. So no, but luckily, right before we started editing, uh, right before we started uh, recording, some ophef emerged. As we all know, all events and gatherings are banned until June first, or as uh, Fred Grapperhaus likes to call it, Juno. And that means that all festivities, including King's Day, uh, is cancelled as well. Uh, and the Royal Concertgebouw Orchestra came up with an idea to still celebrate the Dutch national holiday on April 27th. The orchestra calls on people to sing the national anthem, Hetwil Helmus, in their gardens, in their windows or on their balconies at 10 a.m. on April 27th. The idea is to send a uh, grand and positive message of unity in these trying times, according to the orchestra, and they shared um, sheet music for all sorts of instruments on its website of the national anthem. And the idea immediately sparked some disapproving reactions, to say the least, on the internet. Almost everybody seemed to say that they would never join in something like, like that. The, this news broke and I was looking on the internet for some reactions and literally every reaction I, I, I read was negative. Nobody was positive about it. Which is strange because the, the Dutch, they like their... Um, you know, they have always... They have, every time they have orange fever on, on, on King's Day and when, uh, whenever the, the Dutch national team is playing. So I thought probably a lot of people wants to join, but no, nobody wants to do it. When you sent me the link about this, I declared that I was moving to Italy. So that's how I feel about it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think you're fully integrated now uh, uh, because you don't want to sing the national anthem on the balcony. This week, we've got all the latest coronavirus news, including why Vopka Hoekstra won't be going to Italy for his summer holidays and why summer football is back on the menu. We've also found some non-disease-related news about a bionic bird and why local councils have had to turn down the heat on their energy transition plans. The number of people in intensive care with coronavirus dropped for the first time this week. On Thursday, just over 1,400 patients were in the ICU, 16 fewer than on Wednesday. The Dutch Intensive Care Association said the development was encouraging and it would be able to cope with demand as long as the numbers didn't start rising again. The number of intensive care beds is being increased to 2,400, of which 1,900 will be available for corona patients, and arrangements have been made with 130 hospitals in Germany to accommodate any possible overflow. In other numbers, the death toll rose on Thursday by 148 to 2,396, and total hospital admissions increased by 237 to 7,972. And that means new hospital admissions are back to the level they were at around about two weeks ago. So Gordon, you've written into the script for me to say to you, it's not all good news. And sadly, later in the script, I have written in for you to say to me, it's not all good news. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, uncanny. It's as if we're, yeah, as if we're kind of all reading from the same, uh, same source material. It's as if there is a global pandemic on. 
So tell me about the not good news. Yeah, the not good news is that we're starting to get a picture of how widely the disease has spread in nursing homes. Um, remember, visits to nursing homes were banned uh, on March 19th because of concerns about that. Yap from Dissel, the head of infectious disease control at the public health agency ARFAM, said the virus has been detected in 900 care homes, and that's around 40% of the total around the country. Elderly people, of course, are much more at risk of uh, dying from the disease. There was also reports this week that nursing home staff don't have enough protective clothing to care for their residents safely, and the same goes for people working in psychiatric homes and other care institutions. That caused some uphef in Parliament, as we'll hear later, because Health Minister Hugo de Jong has said at the press conference on Tuesday that equipment shortages weren't an issue. Yeah, he, uh, he later apologised for that, that he um, sort of misspoken or that he uh, didn't express himself uh, correctly, so... Um, uh, uh, he apologized for that it sounded like he flatly denied that there was a, uh, a equipment shortage in, uh, in, uh, in nursing homes. But uh, what's the picture around in the provinces? Yeah, there's big uh, regional variations. I mean, the outbreak began in Nordbrabant, but the number of new infections there has slowed down a lot this week. Um, and now Zout Holland is a province that's got the highest infection rate. Um, we've also seen a slight increase in cases in Nordholland, uh, Limburg and Gelderland, which uh, had pockets of high infection earlier on, are starting to slow down. And in the four northern provinces of Groningen, Drenthe, Friesland and Flevoland, the RFEM describes the infection rate as low and stable. They're seeing around 50 new infections a day between them in an area of around 2 million people compared to 300 in Zout Holland which has got about twice as many. It's almost as if uh, population density have something to do with them. Yeah, yeah indeed who'd have thought that yeah, the virus has spread fast around cities. Prime Minister Mark Rutte and Health Minister Hugo de Jonge told a press conference on Tuesday that it's still too early to say if the intelligent lockdown in the Netherlands will be gradually eased after April 28th when the current deadline expires. We could not make a bigger mistake than relaxing the rules too early, the Prime Minister said. We would then see a new and bigger peak in infections. Rutte said the government is looking into ways for an intelligent way back out of the intelligent lockdown, but he also said the country will have to get used to a new one-and-a-half-meter society, referring to the minimum distance people should take into account. One of the ways the government is uh, looking into is the development of two apps, one to alert people if they have been in contact with someone who was later diagnosed with the COVID-19 virus, and another to keep potential patients in touch with doctors. Rutte and de Jonge stressed that guaranteeing privacy was a precondition of any technological approach to tackle the virus, but the use of tracker apps was immediately criticized by many. Experts tell us that identifying sources and tracing contacts will be crucial for relaxing the rules without overtaxing hospitals, Rutte said. But it's still uh, early days and privacy is key, the Prime Minister added. Yeah, and did, did you give any idea of uh, how these apps might actually work? Uh, yeah, well, the idea of the tracker app is uh, to take over the work of local health boards, uh, which do not have the capacity to trace all potential coronavirus contacts. Uh, technical details about the app were not given in the press conference, uh, so we don't exactly know how they will work. Uh, Hugo de Jonge said something about uh, uh, Bluetooth, so that gives us an impression on which sort of types of apps we, we have. Um, we have seen several countries uh, that are currently using tracker apps. These are, for example, China, South Korea and Taiwan, but it's clear that uh, their GPS-based apps uh, will not be uh, compatible to uh, to the Netherlands because you know they it's basically a huge breach of of, of privacy regulations in these countries. Uh, uh, I've seen um, I've seen 
an app in South Korea, for example, which specifically mentioned a person's name and where they're working and where they're living, who were infected over yeah, and there. It, and yeah, and it publishes all these details online, doesn't it? In South Korea, you can actually look up where individual, where, where other people, like your neighbors, have been going. You know, in the last couple of weeks. So exactly, you know, and nobody, could, which, which nobody would stand for in the Netherlands. So no, and you could yeah. you could basically track down. Uh, which person was infected by whom, and you could literally see that online, and that's definitely not something that we want in the Netherlands. Um, but Newsur interviewed an app developer who is uh, currently working on a tracker app, uh, which doesn't intrude people's personal life, or at least that's what he claims. And he explained that his app works based on Bluetooth, and this app will generate an anonymous code for each user, and uh, it will register with which code it was in close proximity. And that data would not be stored on um, on a centralized database, but rather on the device itself. So if a person would later be diagnosed, his code would, could be flagged and an alert would be given to every user who had been in his or her proximity. But a lot of people were exceptionally unhappy about the privacy situation. <laughs> no, of course not. Very unsurprisingly, privacy watchdog Autoritaire Persoonsgegevens said that they are very worried about the potential intrusion into people's personal life. They're also not convinced the Bluetooth solution will be safe enough, and it also feared that uh, the speed with which the app needs to be implemented will compromise its security. Uh, yeah, because we've seen a lot of apps in the Netherlands and a lot of uh, ICT projects that... Um, uh, 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 were developed for years and that turned out to be a disaster. So, mm. yeah, if we have this app that's developed within a couple of weeks, then, you know, how uh, how much of a disaster will that become? Yeah. Uh, so that's I think that's a very fair concern. Uh, but, yeah, since almost nothing is yet known about the app, the watchdog will follow the developments closely and they check if the measure remains proportionate and includes sufficient safeguards. So what do we think about this, the idea of having an, a, a tracking app in this way? Well, in a way, I think it's it's probably required to have some sort of technological solution to to keep track of the virus. I don't think we can uh, rely on 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 this labor-intensive way of monitoring everything that we currently have with the GGZs who are currently doing that. Uh, but on the other hand, uh, uh, I really feel not comfortable with the government having this app and tracking everybody and uh, uh, tracking everybody's whereabouts. So, yeah, I'm I'm not sure if if we I'm I'm convinced we sort of need a technological solution, but I'm just don't know how else you're going to do it without some sort of app. So yeah, I'm I don't know. Yeah, I kind of agree. I mean, I think obviously, I mean, the WHO and everybody else has said that testing and tracking um, who's got the virus and where they've been and who they've been in contact with is really key to, you know, to controlling its spread. So some kind of technological solution is really important. But it is the whole issue of how how you make sure the government, you know, aren't just harvesting up massive amount of information about you, because there's always this issue of accountability. You know, you think about the Belastingdienst gathering information about um, suspected fraudsters, often people who actually hadn't done anything, and then their names are stored on sort of secret databases um, for years and years and that has you know, implications for whether or not they can claim benefits and it's the same thing here you know they can say that they'll delete the information they'll say it's an anonymized but how do you actually check how do you know that and also anonymous information I mean you can say it's an anonymous code but you can probably tell pretty quickly work out who's who just from some whereabouts you move you know if you move go from your house to your work well that kind of gives away who you are so I don't really see how you manage to keep it totally anonymous and also, you know, come back to the thing of, I mean, Alec Wilson, the head of the uh, 
um, you know, the, the, the privacy watchdog was saying that um, people are going to be sharing lots of information with their employers at the moment about their health, and they should go back to their employer at the end of the uh, after the coronavirus um, has you know been brought under control, and just say you know I want you to delete the information you got on me now that I gave to you during a health crisis. But, you know, are people really going to go to their employer, the person who they depend on for their money and their income, and have that kind of conversation? I think that puts far too much onus and demand on individuals. And, you know, that you need really tight controls to make sure that any information, any information collected on you is properly, you know, anonymized and deleted as soon as possible when it's no longer required. I think that's a big concern. Yeah, I have some, like, unsurprisingly, like, practical problems with this. Namely that, like phones, generally speaking, do not automatically come with their Bluetooth on. Um, so you would have to like include that like as a feature in the app, which I think is going to be somewhat challenging to make sure that people do this and that they don't turn their Bluetooth off if you're going to track through Bluetooth. I mean, I also think that like I'm a pretty heavy phone user that like, you know, I've been on my phone checking Twitter since we've been recording this podcast, but I leave my phone at home a lot deliberately when I go out to walk the dog, when I go for a run, like this kinds of stuff. And that's like, you know, it's unclear to me if the government is going to mandate that I have to take my phone with me everywhere. I mean, I also think that like, I know a lot of people who don't have smartphones or who don't have internet on their smartphone. So they're only using it on Wi-Fi, which would like also, I think, run into some problems with this kinds of stuff. So, I mean, I wonder how effective it is to have a contact tracing app that only works assuming that you get buy-in from a lot of people like part of the time um i mean i also think that like you know everybody in this conversation feels kind of uncomfortable with the idea of the government having this much data so like i wonder how much deliberate sabotage there would be i mean i i suspect i would i made this joke on twitter about how like well you can't install an app on a nokia candy bar phone like maybe i'm digging that one out of the drawer to like go back to if i if i feel uncomfortable with this so like i think that there's some real questions about how this is going to go there was a study that showed singapore has one of these tracking apps which they did not make mandatory and only 19 percent of the population was willing to use it which was like not um sufficient to be generate useful data so i think there's a real question as to whether or not the government is going to both force people to install an app on their phone, force people to use it, and then also force people to take their phones with them everywhere, um, which, you know, seems and like a lot. And force people to get a Bluetooth phone. Right. So that, I think, are all the, these questions. Yeah, and there was also uh, some concerns by uh, another app developer, uh, which I read on um, or, or saw on television. I'm not sure why I heard him uh, speak. But he, he said that um, uh, apparently a lot of iPhones, um, they have problems with running Bluetooth in the background. If you don't have that specific app open, then um, sometimes iPhones will just close the app down or, or it will be put on sort of silent mode. While... Android phones are much better in uh, keep apps running in the background. Yeah. So, um, so uh, that would mean from the start that a lot of iPhone users' data would be useless, basically. So, yeah, yeah there are a lot of practical issues uh, concerning this uh, this app um, uh, as well, uh, next to the sort of fundamental um, uh, fundamental debate that uh, that's been going on as well with uh, regarding the privacy. And speaking of debates, there was one in the Twitter yesterday. 
Yes, and many MPs raised concerns about the shortage of face masks, as we uh, uh, discussed earlier, uh, and other protective equipment for healthcare workers in nursing and retirement homes. And the cabinet said it's working uh, very hard on a new distribution system, which is aimed to be completed before Easter. So they are really trying to make sure that everybody who is working in these nursing homes uh, have the right sort of uh, protective equipment. The director of the uh, Public Health Institute, RIVM, Jaap van Dissel, told MPs in a technical brief that at least 40% of nursing homes have patients uh, infected with coronavirus. Health Minister Hugo de Jonge said that he is doing everything in his power to ensure enough equipment is available. But he also said that it is very difficult because there is currently you know, globally a very high demand with all these uh, sort of equipments. Um, so MPs also uh, responded positively to the announcement of the tracking uh, apps, uh, but they, um, of course, stressed that privacy is of the utmost importance. And the younger said the use of the app will initially be voluntary, but he has not ruled out to make it compulsory if not enough people turn out to have installed it. Yeah, I think it's going to be a problem. Yeah, I don't think it's also going to be a problem. I, th- I think um, I saw a, uh, um, uh, a lawyer interviewed in the parole this week saying that if they tried to make it compulsory, then that would uh, that'd be legally very tricky. Yeah. Given that we have these very tight privacy laws in, in, in the Netherlands, it would be difficult to square. Yeah, and it's there's also some question I was reading, um, something from a lawyer that I followed this week about there's also European privacy and data regulations that of course the Dutch government would also have to adhere to and it does not seem it was not clear to him at least he was saying like whether or not you could compulsively make people download an app onto a phone and then whether or not you could make them carry their phones with them without violating just all sorts of stuff so I think it's a real question yeah it's a difficult thing because of course you know also being you know told to stay indoors and uh, banned from hanging out in groups of four and uh, having the police come around and ask you where you're going is also a big intrusion on your privacy so yeah. it's sort of you know how do you weigh these things up how do you, you know, where's the balance to be struck there's no you know um, it, these are difficult questions to be to be asked I think the novel coronavirus is not only affecting our health, it's also having a huge impact on the economy. The Dutch government at the end of March put together a relief package for companies and workers impacted by the measures taken to prevent the virus's spread. This week, the government expanded some of the measures it has taken to help companies get through the coronavirus crisis and has decided to include taxi drivers, dentists, and tattoo artists on its list of self-employed professions, which are eligible for the €4,000 one-off gift from the government. The cabinet also set aside $12 billion in guarantees to suppliers to enable companies to continue to place orders in preparation for the lifting of restrictions. The fund has been put together because banks and insurance companies are becoming more reluctant to back loans. Also this week, the government launched its NOW scheme, uh, N-O-W, to help firms pay salaries while the crisis continues. Companies whose turnover has slumped to zero can claim 90% of their wage bill from the state and a 20% drop-off entitles companies to 10% support. So to continue a theme, it hasn't all been good news, has it? No, this is uh, becoming a bit of a deja vu around here. Uh, Hundreds of thousands of people on temporary employment contracts are losing their jobs because of the coronavirus. That's despite government measures to help companies pay staff. That's according to Trade Union Federation FNV. Further, thousands of gig economy workers, including taxi drivers, are being left with no source of income. Foreign students, too, risk losing access to grants and other benefits because they cannot meet work obligations. Yeah, so in the shop move, it turns out that casualizing the labor force uh, sort of erodes people's, uh, people's rights as, uh, as employees. Creates, yeah. creates some problems, yeah. it turns yeah. out. 
and municipalities are in financial trouble because of the coronavirus. Revenues are way down as companies are paying less in tax and other sources of income, such as parking revenue, have dried up as people are staying home. But Gemeintes have more to do. During the weekends, officials now must ensure that people keep their distance from one another. Cities are spending more for additional shelter for the homeless, since otherwise not anyone can sleep at a safe distance. Regulations prevent cities in this country from taking on debt, so cuts will have to be made to services if the national government doesn't backstop them. So uh, what else is the government looking at doing? A spokesperson for Raymond Knops, the minister of Binnenlandsaka, told Newsora this week that, quote, the financial position of municipalities is constantly receiving attention. They have set up a working group to see what can be done about that. Elsewhere, ministers are looking at the option of placing a moratorium on mass price cuts in the retail sector until July 1. That's something which a majority of retailers support. Work is also underway on a package of measures to support startups, which includes expanding existing credit and loan schemes. They haven't been included in some other measures. One thing you can do personally is not ask for your money back, if you can afford it, for tickets and festivals and concerts that you've already purchased, or exchange them for a voucher which can be used at a later date. Theaters, concert halls, and festival organizations are under threat. The Dutch Museum Association estimates that 100 museums in the Netherlands may have to close their doors for good by the end of the year. So that's depressing. Yeah, it's a big blow for museums, which yeah. is uh, really sad. Yeah. And theaters and concert halls and like yeah. lots of places that, you know, we're not running probably super big budget surpluses to begin with um, and are now really, really no. under, under pressure. In a lot of the cases, they can't claim on their insurance either because it's not classed as a natural disaster or no. So we're going to see how that all goes. Speaking of things being shut down, Gordon, tell us about how uh, nothing is happening in sports news either. Yeah, there's absolutely no sports news, but there is an ongoing row about whether or not uh, the football season should start up again um, when the coronavirus uh, restrictions are lifted. The clubs now have backed the Football Association's plan to play the matches in July. That's a bit of an about turn from uh, a week ago when uh, Ajax's technical director, Mark Overmars, uh, was furious with the football authorities and compared them to Donald Trump, um, saying they were putting money before health because they wanted to um, carry on playing the matches. But this week, the clubs um, backed the Fair base plan to start playing again in mid-June, provided that players can resume training on May the 12th. The Football Association said it would begin with the postponed matches between Utrecht and Ajax and Azet versus Feyenoord, and then play the first full round of matches on June the 19th. The cup final between Dick Advocats Feyenoord and Utrecht has been penciled in for July the 12th. And what's prompted this change of heart? Well, it might be something to do with the veiled threats that were coming out of UEFA that uh, any countries that don't complete their national competitions might be excluded from the Champions League, which means they're going to miss out on millions of euros. So, uh, yeah, I think that might have uh, encouraged the clubs to pipe down about um, uh, not playing the season out. Basically, all the major competitions, like in uh, England and Germany and Italy, all want to play out because it's going to cost them too much money to abandon the games. UEFA has also tackled the issues of players' contracts. Usually contracts run to June the 30th, but players who are out of contract or move to a new club in the summer will continue to play for and be paid by their former club until the season finishes. So, for example, Hakim Ziyech, who's moving to Chelsea, will keep playing for Ajax after June the 30th, even though he's nominally a Chelsea player after July the 1st. 
So yet again, UEFA has uh, proved itself to be a very unreasonable uh, organization. Yeah, it is kind of the vodka hookstra of the of the sporting world. Really. <laughs> there was a question at the press conference yesterday, two days ago. I don't know; all the days are blending together about whether or not they could do training. Um, which Mark Ritza said it was not clear whether or not that was allowed under the regulations, and he would look into it. So it seems like it's it's unclear to me whether or not they're legally going to be allowed to have training for the football players at all. Yeah, it is all predicated on the idea that the restrictions will be eased by then. But given that you know May the twelfth is only two weeks after you know, the the current deadline, the twenty eighth of April, that's far from certain. And so, uh, is everybody on board with this plan, Gordon? Uh, no. Uh, the mayor of Eindhoven, John Jorgensen, has said, "Not on my watch." Uh, he said it wasn't socially responsible to play football matches two months from now. There's obviously the problem with the large crowds in the stadium. I mean, a lot of people have pointed out that um, the Champions League game between Atalanta Bergamo and Valencia was one of the big catalysts for coronavirus in those two cities. Also, of course, it will put police and council workers under too much strain, um, even if the matches are played in closed stadia, because that will encourage the fans to come out and gather together in bars or hang out in city centres while the games are going on. Uh, He said to NOS, it is not going to happen in Eindhoven. Can the mayor of the city prevent the city's football league from playing a match? Well, he's in charge of safety. Yeah, I guess you could... you could shut the stadium. And while also you could just tell the police, you know, not to police the match, at which point you can't play it. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, I guess that means... Uh... But can he even ban the closed stadium matches? Well, I think, I mean, Rutter made this point in this press conference, didn't he, that you need a license to play a football match. So if the license isn't issued, then, uh, yeah, they wouldn't be allowed to go ahead. I don't quite know who's in charge of the licensing and how it works, but um, if the city council is uh, the one that decides whether or not games are licensed to go ahead, then, yeah, sure, he could basically ban the games. The players also also need to keep a one and a half meter distance so yeah, yeah. So, no, so no tackling so <laughs> no tackling and, and and no goal celebrations either and also <laughs> wouldn't there be an issue i mean because as of right now gatherings of more than 100 people are banned so you couldn't you you would be restricted in the number of people you could even have at a training session then because i was reading somewhere that someone was saying that yeah there's oftentimes more than 100 people at, at training bouts because you've got like you know players but then there's also backup players and coaches and doctors and like i don't know all these other people that sort of go along with it yeah and certainly when you play a match i mean it's not just the players on the pitch there's substitutes it's the coaches yeah. it's the referee and the and the doctors and like you said you need journalists there you need media there to record the game otherwise there's no point playing it so yeah you, you, you struggle to have less than 100 people i just imagine there will be some sort of boa far which will keep track <laughs> of everybody keeping a distance of one and a half meters and exactly yeah. every time a player comes too near another player the, he will he gets be fined fine. 400 yeah. euros yeah <laughs> That would be fun to watch, actually. Just, like, the fines rack up, I guess. <laughs> that had a yeah. whole new dimension to, to football, yeah. Yeah. Be fun to bet on that. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Make Boas fun again. If this podcast is doing a better job of helping you survive the lockdown than Animal Crossing, why not show your appreciation by sponsoring us on Patreon? We're working hard to keep you updated on the latest coronavirus situation, but it does cost us time, money, and dog treats to keep Truby quiet, and we're truly grateful for your very generous donations. And we'll show our appreciation to you by giving you a shout-out on the podcast and letting you ask us a question. This week, we say thank you to two new patrons. Well, I say new patrons, but firstly to Jackson, who I think sponsored us before, so thank you very much for coming back to us. Hope you're keeping safe and well. Also to Carolina Lundstrom, thank you very much indeed as well. Neither of them had a question for us, but you're welcome to ask us something for next week. We did hear back from Shasha Zhu, 
who became a new patron a week ago, who's from Budapest in Hungary, and says, quote, I moved from London to Amsterdam a couple of years ago, got married and bought a flat just before all this crisis started. So that was good timing. I uh, hope you're settling well into married life in your new home. Shasha continues, keep up the good work, and please tell your listeners to be less selfish and just stay home. If you'd like to join our socially distancing band of patrons, log on to patreon.com slash dutchnewsnl. Yes, and I think she's absolutely right. Stay at home. Don't go outside. Avoid all human contacts. Just build your blanket fort and stay in there. And stay in there, yeah. And and don't go out all massed to the beach this weekend uh, because it's Easter. Because Gordon wants a quiet beach uh, experience. Because Gordon wants to go to the beach quietly. I want the whole beach to myself, so don't go to the beach near my house. No one's allowed there. Talks are underway as we record this on Thursday, so like everything else with corona, this whole thing could just be out of date by the time we release this podcast on Friday. But on Wednesday, following a marathon 16-hour session, side note, you think all of your Zoom meetings are bad, there is still no solution for funding the coronavirus in the European Union. We talked about corona bonds last week. I'm not getting into all of that. You can take a listen to that episode if you want a full explainer. Italy, who has been hit hardest by the disease, wants to use the European stability mechanism to help pay for the crisis. But Dutch finance minister Wopke Hoekstra is among those opposed to the plan unless there are strict conditions attached. Austria and Finland have supported the Dutch line. Hoekstra wants to make sure that countries who do get the money from the ESM take measures to bring their domestic budgets under control. He also still hates corona bonds. The Netherlands was, is, and remains against euro bonds because it increases risk in Europe rather than reducing it. Apart from being unwise, it is also not unreasonable that the Netherlands should guarantee the debts that others make. The majority of the Eurozone countries support this line. He tweeted that on Wednesday. Even though that's not true. Not even close. (laughs) Yeah, but the rest of Europe still loves us, right? I mean, we can still travel there by caravan this summer. Absolutely fucking not. (laughs) Even the German finance minister isn't happy with the Netherlands' hardline stance. In these difficult hours, Europe must stand together closely, Olaf Scholz tweeted after this meeting. Together with the French finance minister, Bruno Le Maire, I therefore call on all Euro countries not to refuse to resolve these difficult financial issues and to facilitate a good compromise for all citizens. The French were a bit more, mm, shall we say, clear. Uh, At 5 a.m., French Minister Bruno Le Maire said in this meeting, the transcripts of which have been leaked, while we count the dead per thousand, finance ministers play with words. That is a shame for the ministers, for the Eurogroup, for Europe. We are being judged on this, first by the financial markets, and then by our citizens, and finally by other countries that see we are unable to bridge our differences. So he's not mincing his words. Nope, the French are French are not happy. So, and what are the funding options on the table? Uh, so, the European Commission has proposed a temporary unemployment reassurance plan that's worth about 100 billion. The cash pot would support public programs that allow companies to reduce working hours and compensate their employees for any lost income. The European Investment Bank has pitched a 200 billion euro fund that can issue cheap loans to EU companies that are starved of cash. Then there's the Eurozone's bailout fund, that's what's known as the European Stability Mechanism, or the ESM, from which any country that uses the common currency could draw a credit line worth 2% of its economic output, but that's under certain conditions. The Dutch want to guarantee that governments using the credit line must promise to reserve the money for coronavirus healthcare and economic costs and to take measures to bring their domestic budgets under control. The Dutch are now the only ones who want these restrictions as of today. 
So it's a classic kind of Dutch uncle response, basically. You can have the money, but you can't spend it on anything fun. Yes. No, uh, what did he say? What did, uh, Dysel Bloom say? No schnapps and women. No, no schnapps <laughs> and women. You can't spend the money on that. It's not been a good look for the Netherlands. They're not, uh, they're not looking great. No, they're kind of isolated, aren't they? In the, yeah. In this. I mean, e- even the Germans are looking benevolent and, uh, and generous in comparison to the Dutch, which, which sells you something. Yeah, and Rutte in his weekly press conference today, um, so this happened like just before we were recording it, he said that Hoekstra is a good negotiator and not too strict. There was an article in the NRC which basically could have run with the headline, Wopka Hoekstra is too inflexible. He isn't convinced that the Netherlands stands alone, that's what Rutte says, and he wants to show solidarity with Southern Europe, but insists that post-crisis these economies need to work on competitiveness. Um, I think that, that things are not true yeah and you yeah yeah, and you've seen around the europe uh, there's been a lot of tweets kind of uh, contrasting the netherlands stance on this and uh, their hardline nerve stance on uh, common european debt with their very lax rules on um, corporate taxes with their very lax rules on corporate taxes and uh, the fact that i saw a tweet today of what seemed like a fairly uh, reliable source that uh, countries in the south of europe have lost around 10 billion dollars worth of uh, revenue because of uh, the shell companies based in netherlands just basically hoovering up all all, all the corporate tax that uh, that hasn't gone into their national coffers. Yeah, the uh, that statistic came from Tax Justice Info, which is like a, a think tank group, and it seems to yeah. be pretty reliable. So the Dutch are not making themselves popular. No, I think uh, Hoekstra is never going to be able to travel in Southern Europe ever again, and I think uh, you know Dutch caravans should probably stay out of France this summer. You might get like some stale baguettes thrown at you. Yeah. Do we think this is going to impact on Hooks's chances of becoming prime minister because he's been seen as kind of the crown prince for the CDR? No, I don't think so. I think within the Netherlands, especially the CDR voters, he has a lot of support with his current stance. So a, a lot of parties in, in parliament, especially D66, GroenLinks, SP, PvdA, they are all currently opposing the government's stance on the corona bonds. But I don't think, I think he has a lot of support within his own party. So currently he is seen as as one of the more popular faces in the cabinet, I think, especially by CDA voters. But that's also the same for Hugo de Jonge, who is yeah, going to say this. He's, mm. Yeah, he's of course the health minister and also the other crown prince of the CDA. Molly, we were just talking about the leader of the CDA, right? Uh, yes. Yesterday. And we both couldn't remember who it was currently. Yeah, because <laughs> in, it's in like someone hour. that nobody cares about. Because of course, the famous person, Sibram Buma, left the position last year to become mayor of Leowarda. So whoever will take over as party leader, that is up for grabs. And of course, there's elections coming up next year in March. So, I mean, I think that, yeah, there's some questions about this. I I don't know. I mean, I think, you know, the CDA has this kind of long history of having this kind of split between the more like conservative people and the more sort of like Jesus-y, we want to help the world kind of people. I mean, you usually see this split when it comes to immigration, right? That like sometimes the CDA kind of has this hardline thing against immigration and sometimes you see them have these like very sort of like, you know, we have to help all of the needy people in the world sort of approach. And I think right now what you're seeing is a party that's kind of split over this sort of exact issue, just over, you know, Corona bonds instead of immigration. So I don't know. It'll be interesting to see how it plays out for the CDA. MPs have voted by a narrow majority of 76 to 74 to stop local councils forcing people to cook on electric rather than gas stoves. Utrecht City Council is trying to turn the Overvecht Noord neighborhood into a gas-free zone by 2030, and part of that includes disconnecting the gas network. 
But some people are refusing to give up cooking on gas, and MPs have now voted in favor of a motion removing the right of councils to force them to take this step. The motion was drawn up by the ruling VVD and 50-plus parties. The decision means the city will have to press ahead with renewing old pipes at a cost of 1.5 billion euros, local broadcaster RTV Utrecht said. City alderman Lot van Hooydonk told uh, Algemeen Dagblad she was very sorry MPs have removed the option, but she said the shift to gas-free living would continue. Every switch to cooking on electric stoves is one less gas connection, she said. The city, housing corporations and national grid companies stayed in will now draw up an offer to try and tempt homeowners to make the switch so the district can still become gas-free, she said. Research by environmental lobby group Natuur & Milieu last year showed the sale of gas cookers is plunging. In 2018, gas hubs accounted for just 27% of new cookers sold to Dutch consumers, compared to 42% in 2017. The Dutch government's plan to completely phase out the use of gas in private homes by 2050 and in 2018 dropped the requirement that all new homes be connected to the gas grid. Local authorities have until 2021 to draw plans to disconnect homes from the gas grid on a district-by-district basis. So uh, do your houses still have uh, gas? Yes, I still have gas cooker in my, in my kitchen. Yeah. yeah, Same for us. So when I moved to, to my place, which is an apartment building specifically built for uh, students, um, I was uh, unpleasantly surprised to see that my building wasn't connected to the gas grid. I would be very sad to have to give up being able to cook on gas. I much, much prefer it to cooking on electric. So. It is a lot better. Yeah, I agree but, too. But, but yeah. presumably, presumably they're going to come up with um, better uh, quality electric cookers that actually uh, generate heat in a more kind of you know uh, responsive way. But yeah, hopefully we haven't we haven't seen them yet. No. Baloo, a male silvery-cheeked hornbill with a broken cask, has been fitted with an artificial replacement printed on a 3D printer by scientists at Utrecht University. The cask, a large heart structure that sits on the beak of the animal and which is used to impress the ladies, was so damaged the bird's life was in danger. His veins were only protected by a very thin membrane, a spokesperson for the Tessel Zoo said. Baloo's original cast will eventually grow back, but it's a very slow process. The bird was given to the zoo by its previous owner, who hoped that a solution for him could be found. After a CT scan to determine the right shape, Utrecht University then 3D printed a new cask, which was fitted in December. After months of careful monitoring, the bird has now recovered. We waited because this operation has never been performed in the Netherlands, and we didn't know if the cask would stay in place or how Baloo would react to it, the bird's handlers said. However, the first thing Baloo did when coming around from the anesthetics was to eat some of his favorite blueberries, not minding the new appendage at all. Tessel Zoo is currently closed because of coronavirus, but people who want to help the zoo can adopt Baloo. We will include a link in the liner notes uh, to where you can uh, donate some money if you're into that. Yeah, if you want to adopt Baloo, the, the bionic bird. <laughs> yeah. The bionic yeah. build bird. Yeah. I was. Um... You can keep him in a supply of blueberries. <laughs> I was starting to yell at you, Molly, when you um, mentioned the coronavirus in this non-corona related um, story. That's fair. But, but, but we, but we I mean, are trying it, to, you know, get people to support the zoo. So yeah, yeah, exactly. So I'm not mad at you. No, please get, donate some money if you have it to Baloo. He, uh, he needs strawberries just as much as Truby needs expensive dog food. But who thought Tessel has had a zoo? Who knew? <laughs> I knew that they had seals, but I didn't know that there were other animals. No, no, no. They have sheep. There's sheep. Lots of lots of sheep. Yeah. 
Yeah. No, but is isn't Tessel where the seal sh- sanctuary is? The like. No, that's uh, Peter no. Buren. Yes, yeah, that's on the mainland. That's in Kronia. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I thought it was in Tessel. No. I've been to the seal sanctuary in Peter Buren as well. Really? Yeah, you you like long drives, I think, right? Basically, yeah. No, I mean, you love the Hunnebed Highway, so you love to drive to uh, exactly, yeah, to, to Peterburg as well. Yeah, yes, I, I went to, that was the time I went over the Offset Deck as well. I have to say, the Seal oh. Sanctuary was a lot more, lot more interesting than the Offset Deck. <laughs> there is also a Seal Sanctuary on Tessel. Thank you very much. I was like, <laughs> I've been Google to that? a Seal Sanctuary on Tessel. Yes. Oh, okay, but it's not the famous one. It's not the real sanctuary. Oh, it's not the real That's one. Peter okay, Bure. I don't know. Yeah. Well, there's a lovely Seal Sanctuary on Tessel where you can go see some seals and stuff. Yeah. When there's no coronavirus, obviously. Right yes, now, you, you can't go there right home. now. No, you can't go to Tesla at all. Is uh, Tesla still uh, coronavirus free? I no, think they've it got, is. No, I they think... got no. Tesla's got cases. The other, the other islands haven't. Oh, the, the other Tesla islands has. are still free. Yeah. Well, okay. That's it. There, there, there's plenty enough. Wrap that's it up, all, Gordon. That's all we have for you this week. This podcast is a production of Dutch News, which can be found online at dutchnews.nl. We'll include links to everything we've talked about today in the line of the notes. You can get in touch with us by email to podcast at dutchnews.nl. And if you want to help us out, please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating. And you can also now back us on Patreon at patreon.com slash dutchnewsnl and earn yourself a free shout-out on the podcast and the right to ask us a question about anything in, or, or anything and everything. My thanks to Molly Quell and Pearl Baters. I'm Gordon Derrick, and we'll be back next week in our Blanket Fortresses. to go pick up the five kilos of mushrooms that he ordered. Oh, the mushrooms, yeah. <laughs> he mentions this casually. We're sitting down over breakfast at like 7.30 this morning. And I was like, oh, like, what's your day like today, sweetie? Like, do you have a lot of calls and stuff? And he was like, yeah, I got this and this. And I'm going to, I have to be done by four because I have to leave. And I was like, oh, because of the podcast? He goes, no, because I have to pick up the mushrooms. And I was like, what mushrooms? And he was like, oh, yeah, you can order five kilos of mushrooms for seven euros and 50 cents. And I'm going to go cycle out to the Westlands and pick them up. And I was like, what the fuck are we supposed to do with five kilos of fucking mushrooms? <laughs> Wait, was it was this the breakdown you expected him to have, or is it? <laughs> I guess I mean I guess I should just be happy that he's buying mushrooms and not heroin while he's in the Westlands, so I can't complain too much. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Not crack cocaine or hookers or you know. Yeah. He is infected with the uh, Championa no, virus. No, boo, Paul. I'm calling the click line. <laughs> anyway, so please send me all of your best like heavy mushroom recipes because I have to cook five kilos of them. What kind of mushrooms are they? Is it ones? He doesn't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's a surprise. Uh, are they actually going to, are they uh, like poisonous mushrooms? Do you know that they're safe? Just like, I don't you know. know. Are they magic mushrooms? <laughs> I don't know, Gordon. I don't know. He also <laughs> does not know the answer. Just like random questions. mushrooms. <laughs> where, where did he get the idea to just order <laughs> random mushrooms from like a mushroom supply? I don't supply? know. I, <laughs> <laughs> Somewhere on the dark web, I guess. Like where else do you order five kilos of mushrooms? The mushroom dark web. <laughs>